Hello private equity punters and welcome to another Unquote fundraising special. What does it take to train a private equity heavyweight? Is it enough to walk the walk or do you also need to talk the talk? And what do you have in the locker in your bid to go from fundraising pretender to buyout contender? We talk about bulking up the brand ahead of the fundraising bout in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello and welcome to the pod. In the last fundraising special, we discussed a perceived bifurcation of the market with Monument Group's Carl Adam. In that episode, we spoke about how so-called brand name GPs were raising faster than ever and branching out into new strategies. This week, we'll look more closely at what it means to build a brand and speak to Envision's Mune Gwen, who many in the industry will know as Moose, about the different factors involved, as well as getting his take on the state of European fundraising. But first, I'll introduce my panel. Welcome back to Unquote's associate editor, Denise Cogenovese. Hi, Denise. Hi, Oscar. And Unquote Features editor and occasional podcast host, Kenny Wastel. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Oscar. Thanks for hosting me. So, Kenny, as a private equity journalist, how important do you think it is for a GP to have a strong brand? Well, I think as a journalist, I suppose uh, I recoil somewhat at hearing uh, talk of, of brand and, and branding. Part of our, our job, obviously, is to see through that. And I guess that that is similar in a way to, to what LPs uh, what LPs have to do as well. But I mean, one thing that I would say is that perhaps from a GP's point of view, building a brand is not it's not quite the same as you would see in, in the consumer world. So people think about, you know, ha- having the logo out there and people recognizing that and uh, picking up on the adverts that they've seen on, on TV, presumably it's a, it's a slightly different story when it comes to an industry like private equity and trying to sell commitments to your fund to institutional investors. Saying that though, Kenny, I think that um, a brand, though different, I agree with you, is important, whatever it is, you've got to be known for something. And I think the deception lies in exactly what you said. A private equity brand is not the same as a consumer brand, but it is just as important. And you still want to have that brand recognition across the logo as well. I mean, when we spoke before about uh, brand name GPs that do platform extensions, um, they might never have been into a strategy before, like maybe they've always been in buyouts, they're going into credit or infrastructure even. All they really have is the logo and the trust that they've built up with investors. And the problem is, I think the private equity house thinks I'm not a consumer brand, therefore we'll just have a little think what differentiates us or we're not really sure and we're not actually going to put much time or money or headspace into crafting a brand, albeit one that is more subliminal and flies under the radar. Um, So sometimes I think what Carl Adams was saying the other day exactly was that they need to spend time crafting out, verbalising, making it tangible. Yeah, and we talked about quite a lot before about how important the track record was and how track record makes up part of the brand. How do you see that, Kenny? How important do you think the previous performance is? Well, I was gonna, I was gonna actually bring that up because you spoke about platform extensions, and presumably a lot of the selling point there is, uh, yes, it is the brand, it's the sort of. Uh, the big the big name the the Carlyles etc um but a lot of it is just the the track record one of the things that springs to mind uh, i went to see mayfair equity partners actually uh, shortly after they launched i think they had just closed their first fund and I hope they don't. They don't mind me speaking about this, but I'm sure that I'm sure they won't. Uh, Mayfair, obviously, a, a lot of the sort of core team uh, was had had worked together 
at uh, at LDC in in the London office, uh, and one of their big investments was Fevertree, which is obviously the uh, I mean the, the, the soft drinks and, and mixer is probably famous for for those of us who are the partial tonics, to yeah. to a gin and tonic exactly. Um, but uh, so when I stepped into Mayfair's uh, offices, there was uh, pretty much wall to wall fridge of uh, just filled with with Fevertree products, and Fevertree was not. A Mayfair. Uh, it was not a Mayfair portfolio company, but Daniel Sasaki, uh, one of the well, the managing partner, one of the founding partners of, of Mayfair, had actually sat on the board uh, of that company when when he was at LDC, and it was a company that had. I think LDC was invested in it for not much longer than a year uh, and it had tripled in value in that time. And here was something that they could tangibly say, like, we are we are a team that has worked on this investment. We might not, as Mayfair, have any returns to show, but here is the track record of our team. It's here for you all to see in this fridge behind us. I think the problem with that is that though track record is important, you don't want to bask in your former glory days for months and years and decades on end because surely that could be a hindrance to innovating and forming a new brand, especially for someone like you know, Mayfair, as an example, that spun out of something else. At what point are you just trying to recreate what there was before and not concentrating on what there is ahead? Yeah, I guess it comes back to what we were speaking about with Carl in the previous episode, where he was saying the important thing is to demonstrate with concrete examples, but demonstrate that you have a replicable way of carrying on this strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And I would think as well, I mean, it's not just a case of replicating because not only does something that you've applied to to one brand not necessarily also apply to to another brand, but um, it's also the case that the market moves on, right? So what what was a successful brand 10 years ago might not get the traction nowadays. Right. Well, on that note, we're going to get an insider perspective. We spoke to the man responsible for building a number of PE brands in Europe, Apex Partners, EQT Partners, Nordic Capital, Capvis, Waterland Private Equity. All of these are previous clients of Envision Private Equity. And I interviewed the CEO, Munir Gwen, who many of our listeners will know as Moose, about what goes into building a brand and also got his predictions for 2019 and beyond. We'll be back with that interview after this. Hello listener, I'm here to tell you about Allocate, European Private Equities AGM, hosted by Unquote. This year we'll be returning to the Grove in Hertfordshire from the 19th to the 21st of June. I'll be there, Oscar will be there, and so will more than 100 LPs, the top tier of European GPs, and our advisory partners. We'll be talking about all the big themes that will affect the next private equity cycle, catching up with old friends, and maybe even taking part in some outdoor activities, cycling, golf, yoga and a barbecue you can find out more at events.unquote.com forward slash allocate we look forward to seeing you there hello listener i'm here in the berlin hotel with uh, envisions moose hi moose welcome to the pod thank you very much nice to be here so last time we were talking about how brand name gp seems to be raising faster and faster while lots of the kind of less differentiated firms are maybe lagging a little bit I want to speak to you a little bit more about um, building a brand because I know you've been involved in building quite a few of the the big brand names in private equity over the last few years. So just give us a breakdown. What goes into it? Well, I mean, it's planning because when we work with a private equity firm, we're looking at a 10-year horizon and we're looking at a three-fund cycle. 
to be able to position that, that business in the right um, uh, uh, opportunity or in the right um, area. So how much of a role does the kind of personality play in this? Is, you know, the personality of the firm or the personality of the founder involved? Oh, it's absolutely critical. I mean, um, I call it X factor. So we're looking for individuals that have an X factor or we're looking for a collective who are able to uh, demonstrate an X factor. That makes sense. And we hear a lot about track record, track records, track record, whenever we ask, you know, what makes a brand name. I'm sure that that's important, but it's not the, the only part, is it? It's the core component around which we build uh, the model. Because at the end of the day, um, if we can demonstrate an ability to deploy capital on a regular basis, we can demonstrate consistency of returns, and we can demonstrate a discipline to um, make, uh, manage losses. Um, you know, that will make the investors comfortable. But around that, we need to ensure that there's a very clear identification of how the general partner operates, what the general partner is doing, and what the DNA is of the organization, so that there's a comfort that, that can be maintained fund over fund. Because the biggest risk an investor has is what I would call reinvestment risk. So as they go from one fund to another with a general partner, will the general partner maintain that consistency um, and um, that, they, that the investor needs in terms of, of the uh, targeted returns that they have? And how important is maintaining the team for that? I, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's important to, to be able to uh, grow talent it's important that talent is able to work well together, um, but I, I don't think it's absolutely critical in terms of um, making the difference in the performance. I think the performance really is a reflection of the organizations and the way the organizations um, um, have st structured themselves. And some individuals you know, are good for parts of that journey and, and fit that. But you know, I, I do expect to see turnover uh, in, in, the, uh, in the team. So, and I don't view it as, as critical as um, the, uh, the mission of the firm. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, and while we're sort of on the topic of uh, branding and, and how firms are portrayed in the market, um, is the same kind of thing true of placement agents as well? Is the brand one of the most important things? Well, I think the brand uh, you know, is, is um, an important element of it. Because, you know, it's a name that, that people are aware of um, and that, um, you know, people can associate the brand with different perspectives. The interesting thing is that, um, you know, for firms that have a very big uh, global footprint like we do, um, you, what you get is you get uh, different parts of the markets have different views on us. Uh, you know, in some cases, uh, some people view us as not doing the uh, first-time funds, but we do a lot of first-time funds. Some people view us as not doing smaller funds, but we do do smaller funds. Uh, you know, we're, we're viewed as strategic, tactical, um, uh, you know, very targeted and working with larger funds in the marketplace, which is what we're very good at. But we also do it with the other funds, but we do it globally in the United States and Europe and, and other markets in Asia, uh, you know, uh, quite successfully. Sure. But, but again, um, you know, one of the, 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 the nuances you have is uh, you, you get kind of, um, you know, the brand floats around a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, and just, uh, I know you're obviously a global firm, just looking at European private equity specifically for a minute, because that's what we're focused on at Unquote. 
what's your prediction for 2019? Which funds do you think are going to do the best? Um, we've heard from some people that there's been kind of a wave of re-ups that's meant LPs don't really have time to look at a lot of new funds. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that's true? Do well, that's... in 2018, when we were at this conference, um, there was a shift from the investor base uh, to larger funds. Uh, larger funds constitute a safer uh, haven um, because um, at the investor community is looking at whether we're at the end of a particular cycle or not. Uh, and if we are, then you'd like to be with safer pair of hands. And the larger funds are perceived to be those safer pair of hands. Um, the nuance that's the difference between last year and this year is uh, at the conference this year, 2019, um, not only are the investors all focusing on putting capital at, with the larger funds, but they've actually deployed their 2019 allocations. Yeah. So, so this is 2020 now. So when we're talking to investors for funds that are not in the 2019, um, that you know, not these larger funds in the 2019 allocation, we're being told that we need to wait till January to be able to get access to our um, mid-market uh, 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 you know, uh, clients, mm -hmm. right? What's it, January 2020? Uh, January 2020. Wow. But this is a European situation, yeah. right? Now, you've got to be a little bit careful because, um, you know, th there is a, a bit of a break in here. So uh, th these are funds between one and three billion that particularly could get caught in this type of uh, comment that I made. Okay. But the, the sub 500 funds have a different investor base because mm -hmm. um, that investor base does not invest with the mega funds. <laughs> All right. And, and so, you know, they will have their own. So we could have a barbell going into 2019. Uh, and um, the the big nuance here, the barbell being that uh, smaller funds get raised and the mega funds get raised, and the ones in between take longer, <laughs> even though they're very good products. Right. Right. Now the magic in all of this is that the big funds that are currently absorbing capital are based on commitments, and those large funds have not allocated yet. So in the coming quarter, or the coming three months they will be allocating. So we will then all of a sudden could potentially in May, June time have free capital again. <laughs> so so where we're being told to park till the end of 2019 because, mm. you know, investors um, will get their new allocations sometimes in October, sometimes in December, uh, mm. sometimes in January, depending on how their portfolio is constructed. Uh, but, uh, you know, so May, June for me is a uh, critical time. Okay. And last thing, Moose, uh, just before I let you go. We were talking before about investors being, uh, was it magnets or... or megaphones. Magnets or megaphones. Correct. Just talk us through that because it's a nice well, metaphor. Yeah, get it well, well, the thing is, you know, one of the things that we look at is, as we develop brands and we look at positioning private equity firms, um, you know, we look at the investor constitution. And um, what you have is certain investors, um, you know, talk about uh, their private equity firm to other investors. So I, I nickname those the megaphones. And certain investors attract other capital. And I call those the magnets. Now, interestingly enough, um, sometimes a magnet uh, um, could be uh, a, um, a momentum play. So, you know, we get five U.S. public pensions to come into a fund. Um, then the other public pensions feel comfortable because there's a cluster 
right? right? And all of a sudden, we've, we've created a magnet. <laughs> and so that particular individual might not be necessarily a magnet on a standalone basis, but when you cluster them, you've created magnets, which means that, that, that gatekeepers <laughs> and other public pensions come in, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, and, uh, and then depending on what the... Um, 10-year plan is uh, with the private equity firm we're working with, um, we try to look at whether the, uh, we tilt the, those two combinations to larger commitments or keep them to mid-sized commitments from the investors. Right? So, yeah. so again, always looking at the constitution of the investors in terms of you know, the amounts of capital they employ, the, the types of investors that they are, and the geographic diversity. Um, because you know the the, the more the, um, the funding base is diversified, and then you've got these attractive elements that uh, the megaphones and the magnets, um, the the, um, the the better we know that we can establish the the uh, objectives of the private equity firm over the, you know the ten year plan. Yeah. So magnets, megaphones, and barbells. We're definitely going to have fun editing this one. Moose. Thanks very <laughs> yeah, much for your pleasure. time. Thank you. So Moose from Envision there, interesting to get another take from a placement agent. Is there anything that sort of jumped out at you straight away from that interview, Kenny? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the main thing I would say that, that I uh, noted was uh, the, the role of people, actually. So on the one hand, uh, Moose mentioned the the X factor, and presumably a lot of that is down to, you know, the, the founding partners of a firm. Uh, on the other on the other end, when we're talking about how important it is to to keep a team together, uh, the fact that Moose said that perhaps that wasn't quite as important as the overall brand image, and I guess a lot of that kind of comes back to this uh, this this topic of professionalization of the sector, where yes, it is important to have that uh, to have those figureheads to launch a firm. Uh, but then once the firm's up and running and it has a sort of track record that it can uh, fall back on and it has its own uh, its own selling points, uh, the, the firm itself very much takes over. Yeah, I was really encouraged by that because you sort of think that um, the, the private equity world is quite closed off and there's only the same people who've been in the industry for many years sort of being recycled in different forms and different guises. Um, but what he said about not holding on necessarily to teams staying together forever and the whole private equity firm relying on that I felt was a sign of maybe the industry opening up becoming a bit more diverse and moving forward really. Absolutely and moving away from the kind of lone gunslinger model um, obviously most of these firms were initially built around one person and let's face it it was usually a man and some of these are still around some of them are not um, but obviously they'd be taking a back seat and we'd be seeing more sort of succession situations and it'd be maybe a more of a sort of communal approach building around a strategy or something like that. Yeah, absolutely, which goes back to what we were talking about, about what builds a brand. You know, perhaps we're moving away from the model where it's synonymous to the person that founded it and a private equity firm will increasingly think a little bit more um, inwardly about what they stand for and um, we can move into other models of how to define yourself. Yeah, and perhaps that will also help to address some of the, the issues which you kind of alluded to there of uh, a lack of a lack of diversity uh, in, in the industry as well. 
Yeah, and uh, one way that GPs have been trying to build out their strategies and build out their brand recently is by uh, specialising, uh, sometimes by sector, which is an interesting topic we will probably look into in the next episode or the next fundraising special of this podcast. But I'm afraid that is all we have time for this week. Uh, please do take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or of course, you can continue listening on unquote.com. A very big thank you to our two panellists in the studio today, to our special guest, Moose from Envision, and as always, a big thank you to you too, listener. We'll speak to you soon. Unquote.